Welcome to episode number 24 of the Friday Froster. Today's title is the Unemployed Employee and the Healthy Audit. Kelly, Joe looks different today. Joe looks really different. And you know what I wanted to do? I think we should have put Mark's face inside Joe's hair on the opening page. That would have been really funny. Robert, come on, step it up for next week. <laughs> We've got to really make this a high quality production. So yeah, yeah, that, that's a very good idea. Um, Kelly Paxton, Mark Anderson, Robert Berry, the Friday Froster. How are you guys doing today? Doing awesome, awesome. here. So you guys, uh, Thomas is here. Thomas already says the unemployed employee sounds like someone from the movie Office Space. We just fixed the glitch. That's one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Yeah. So Mark, what's been happening since the last time we've seen you here on stage well, with us? People are getting unafraid to meet in public. So I've been doing some uh, actual in-person training. Very reinvigorating. Nice. So you've been actually able to reach out and touch folks, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And I do that, which makes some people uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we have you in Zoom. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So you guys know the deal. As you enter the room, Drop that emoji into the chat that signifies the mood that you're in. And the only reason we ask what kind of mood you're in is because we care about you, our fellow fraud, risk, audit, and compliance professionals. And while we're here, let us remind you that the Friday Froster is also a podcast available on all your favorite podcasting platforms, unless your favorite podcasting platform is Apple. Again, I'll fix that at some point in time. You can catch up the, to the latest episode. As a matter of fact, we'll have today's episode up by tomorrow at noon. So Friday Froster, Mark, Kelly, and Robert, we are your gracious hosts. And today we're just going to hop right in because we've got some interesting stuff going on today. Our first story, the unemployed employee. All right. I'm going to dole this one out in small doses because this one is insane. I know I say that every week because they all are insane. <laughs> Goodness. They all are. Would you not agree, Kelly, Mark? Yeah. And the thing is, is we only catch the dumb ones. Uh, <laughs> low hanging fruit, fruit, right? Get the low yep. hanging fruit. All right. So, guys, Thomas is sleeping today. He, Thomas is worn out because he was our guest last. He was our guest host last week, so he's still worn out. And Hal says no emoji, just hoping Mark doesn't reach through the screen. <clears throat> All right, for the people listening on the podcast, let me just try and say what Hal has just typed in for us without laughing. Hal says no emoji, just hoping Mark doesn't reach through the screen and touch me. <laughs> I did it. <clears throat> and Clarence, good to see you again. Clarence is smiling and he just says, I am glad it's Friday and I have a long weekend. Oh, that's right. It is a holiday weekend, isn't it? Yeah, I just actually had to tell my virtual assistant. She's like, um, your podcast for Tuesday. Are you going to get it done today? And I'm like, oops. And she's like, because Monday's a holiday. And I thought my VA worked on Monday, but not apparently. Um, <laughs> so my podcast next week is going to be like a day late, I think. So. Oh, that's okay. Oh, well. People will still get the I notification. Know. Yeah. 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 So Pozo is laughing hard, and I'm pretty sure it's probably at what Hal just said. And Dan <laughs> says he's hanging in Houston with rain and thunder. So, you know, Dan, you're going to be thunderously angry after you hear this next story. So check it out, you guys. A former employee of the Massachusetts Department of Unemployment Assistance, the DUA. Now keep that name handy, you guys. An employee, a former employee, sorry, let me qualify that. A former employee with the Massachusetts Department of Unemployment Assistance pleaded guilty today, which was just a few days ago, uh, to fraud and identity theft charges arising from her claims for <clears throat> 
pandemic unemployment assistance funds. You got you cannot make this stuff up. Let me just let me just make sure everyone is hearing me correctly. She was a former employee for the Massachusetts Department of Unemployment. She's just been she's just pleaded guilty to fraud and identity theft charges for pandemic unemployment assistance fraud funds uh, funds. She was indicted in January of this year, along with her husband. He also pleaded guilty in July and is scheduled to be sentenced November the 18th of this year. The DUA, the Department of Unemployment Assistance, hired her April of 2020. <clears throat> they hired her shortly after her release from federal prison following a conviction for aggravated identity theft. As you guys can see, this one is going nowhere quite fast, right? You know, normally it takes us a while to really get into it. <laughs> While employed at the DUA, she misused her position to submit fraudulent PUA, that's Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Claim information on behalf of herself and her husband. He was actually incarcerated in Texas until September of 2020. So because of that, he was ineligible for PUA funds. All right. So let me let me just back up to make sure we're all here. You guys. She was an employee at the Massachusetts Department of Unemployment Assistance. She committed fraud with the pandemic unemployment assistance funds, not only for herself, but also for her husband, who was incarcerated up until September of 2020. <clears throat> So a part of what happened, <laughs> a part of what happened was in June of 2020, she submitted a claim for her and her husband that reflected a 2019 income of zero dollars and no dependents. So if you guys don't know, in 2020, the amount that you could get for unemployment under the Pandemic Relief Act was was based on your 2019 income. So if her original claim had zero income and no dependents, then she probably wasn't going to get any money. So here's what she did. In July of 2020, she accessed the system where she worked and changed her claim information and that of her husband uh, to say that their income for 2019 was over $240,000. Then she increased their dependence from zero to seven. All right. So I'm going to put a pin in it right here and we're going to talk about this. And but there, there's always more. Mark Kelly, what what do you guys think about this? I... Okay, Mark, you go first. <laughs> I I just am terribly uh, impressed with the hiring practices of that uh, the unemployment insurance uh, agency in Massachusetts. I'm sure their IG should be very uh, should be looking at the way they hire people uh, because we got a classic fox in the hen house situation and. I guess they didn't know they had a hen house and they didn't know she was a fox. Ridiculous. You know, yeah. the question is, was she really a fox, though? Is in good look? Never mind. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead, Kelly. <laughs> well, so they did a search of her New Bedford home and they had um, equipment and items used to make fake IDs, including a laminator, blank ID cards, and hologram overlays. So I'm going to go with like, you know, she's probably making COVID vaccine cards. She's like, you know what? These people, these are serial. This isn't a um, a one-off. I'm gonna just go there. That the, they're they're a little craftier than the average, you know, ones. Just well, because they had all the stuff to do it. Her husband's been in prison. She's been in prison. Like they went to higher ed in prison and learned how to do it better, but still not good enough. She was in prison for identity theft. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So go. she just went back for her master's. Yeah. yeah. Soon she'll get her PhD. Uh-huh. Well, this time around. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? This one went nowhere real fast. Now, Heather is here and she has either cats or foxes. I think those are cats because Heather has cat or a cat. So she says it's the weekend. But how? Piggybacking off of what Kelly said, he said, as Kelly said, we catch the dumb ones. Yep. And then Hal has a great rendition of her resume. Felon, ex-con, employed, unemployed, felon, con. Great resume. And Dan 
says, stupid knows no limit. Now, Pozo, Bonnie and Clyde, wait, did they get stimulus checks for the fake dependents? Was she a contractor or were controls just bad? Pozo, she was an employee, which yep. brings us to Clarence's point. Did they do background checks? Clarence, you know what? At this point, I actually hope not, because if you did and, and then you her. still hired her, that, that's worse. So I, I actually hope not. Well, and she had she goes by two different names. So right. that could have made it a little more confusing for the people putting the name in. So Tiffany Pacheco and then Tiffany Tabry. Um, so I wonder what her next name is going to be. Yeah, I'm not Rita sure Cronwell. what the name was she was hired by, you know, what her employed name was. Yeah, that could screw with it, I guess. Yeah. You know, she well, so that brings us to Dan's point. Dan says entrepreneur. So, you know, her next name, she's going to have a DBA. She'll just be doing business as somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. Okay. So now on a serious note, let's talk for a minute about um, risk and controls within this particular case. So she was hired right after she graduated from prison university and um, shortly after, within a few months after getting hired, she had access to the system where you put in people's uh, income and dependents. Not only did she have access to enter information, but she had access to update information, which means she had access to approve information. So we had a clear lack of segregation of duties there. Um, then it also says that at some point, her employer questioned some of the activity because in November, apparently her husband called them and uh, at their request, and he lied about the amount of time he was incarcerated. He actually said that he was only incarcerated for one month uh, when he was actually incarcerated up until September. So then the wife actually spoke to the DUA, her employer, and misrepresented is what the document said. So she lied about the period of time in which he was incarcerated as well. Then they took it a step further and they actually sent a fake letter to the DUA saying that a Massachusetts retailer had been employing her husband when in fact he actually was in jail. So that letter was determined to be false as well. So at some point her employer questioned the activity. They spoke to the employer and told the employer that he was employed. They sent a fake letter to her employer verifying, verifying in air quotes that he was actually employed, but that retailer said, no, he was not employed there. So now a control that should have been in place, them actually talking to the person, apparently that control must have failed as well, or maybe it succeeded. Maybe that's how this whole thing unraveled. Because at this point, I'm unclear as to what happened uh, uh, after this. So I just put a link for Bureau of Prisons. And if you put in Tiffany Tabary, she was released February 19th of 2020. So like, okay, let's not go to the whole, um, you know, people don't want to work. Oh my God, she immediately wanted to get a job. Um, and then, but if you put Arthur Pacheco, which is the name that, um, you know, they reference, he doesn't show up in Bureau of Prisons. So it's, oh. Tavery shows up in Bureau of Prisons. Pacheco doesn't. Let me see if Ashley Tiffany Pacheco does. Did, um, did, the, did Arthur, was that federal time he served though? Because I don't recall seeing that he was in the federal lockup. Yeah. So, and I Tiffany know she Pacheco was. doesn't show up in federal lockup. It showed her other name. So he might've yeah. been the locals. I don't know. Maybe they met in an online group for support for, you know, I wonder how long they were married, like actually married. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a very good question. And hmm. hopefully they don't have children, like real children, not the fake ones that they put on the list. Let's hope. Oh, goodness. You know, I'm, I'm actually guessing that they don't because and this is speculation, but I'm actually guessing that uh, what was initially in the system for 2019, zero income and zero dependence 
I'm guessing that was probably accurate. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the statistic is like 80% of women in prison have a child. Oh, wow. Like, not in wow, prison. Really they wild. have it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. So, I don't know. That's, uh, geez. Yeah. It's sad, but it's not sad because, yeah, when they get out of jail again, send them to Florida. <laughs> Hell, oh, says- Hell, I have been seeing so many Florida license plates in Oregon and Washington. Stop it. You people need to like put a wall and you guys can't come here. Like literally. No. Now that's weird. That's a long drive. It's a really long drive. Like they're escaping. Hal, keep them, please. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Am I going to get canceled for this? Oh, I think we all are. <laughs> I, I think the wall would be to keep them coming the other way. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, God, Hal. <laughs> what is Hal saying? That was not Hal good. Says that's how we spread COVID to Oregon. Hal, okay, not Hal. Hal. <laughs> uh, can oh. you send some ivermectin with them, at least, please? Okay, you guys, oh. like... Honestly, I, okay, going a little crazy here. Joe Rogan, does Joe Rogan live in Florida? I think he does. I think you know, he lives in California. Oh, uh, I don't know, but he took ivermectin. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, he did. It, he talked, so we're responsible it. for someone that has that much sway to say that he took horse paste. It is horse paste. And I hope he got the runs. Like the oh, trots. No. Actually, horse, he got the trots. Trots. Got it. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be canceled. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So, you guys, that is our first story for today. The unemployed employee, where a person who was employed at the Massachusetts Department of Unemployment Assistance Agency filed for pandemic unemployment assistance fraudulently for herself and for her husband went into the system, changed their income status and dependent status. So we had a lack of segregation of duties there because she shouldn't have had access to view, update and approve in the system. Then apparently when a secondary control kicked in and the agency called, they both, she and her husband called back and lied and sent false documentation But this individual was employed at the agency in about less than three months after getting out of jail for identity theft. And needless to say, when their apartment was searched, they found various tools for identity fraud, including ID laminator, 100 blank ID card stock, 68 hologram overlays, 158 car uh, card laminated sheets and 649 sheets of blank checks. They also seized approximately $17,000 in cash and a notebook that appeared to contain the personal identifying information of various individuals. They also found a driver's license with the name of a victim, Tiffany Pachesco, used to submit another fraudulent PUA claim. Am I not right, though, uh, Robert, that that was caught? I mean, the Massachusetts agency didn't catch any of that. That was caught in a federal system with regard to the pandemic uh, uh, unemployment money, right? I think so. I thought I, I thought I saw reference to that in one of the articles I read that it was SIGPER or one of those. Uh, no, uh, who would have been labor? Uh, Department of Labor, Federal Department of Labor had some sort of task force looking at these monies. And it was my understanding none of that money was ever paid either. Is that right? Yes, I did read that the money was never actually paid, but I can't remember which agency actually found it. But it wasn't Massachusetts. I don't think so. No, they were probably told about it by an outside agency. Which is even worse, right? It is. Yeah, yeah. Now, Pozo asked, 
Did she use the same social security number for the job and unemployment benefits claim? If she did, there's another issue in the system. Yeah, I wish I knew that because that was a thought that I had too because that should have shown you everything that you needed to know and or see. The unemployed employee. So while we're here, halfway through our show, Kelly, great women in fraud. It's, oh my gosh, I taped three episodes this week and um, number 50, so it comes out in two and a half, three weeks, um, is a victim of embezzlement. Cheryl Obermiller, she wrote the book Fraud Points. Oh my God, you guys, everyone, every business owner should listen to it. She's awesome. She's so, so much fun. So we, I have like 50 in the, um, you know, can to put in and like, I wanted to spread far and wide because it's a business owner. It's, you know, it's helpful to the fraud professionals, but it's really, really helpful to the business owners. And you guys can't see this in it because I only do the audio, but it was so funny. One of her things is I was always told to keep my gun in my safe and my checkbook in my desk drawer. And all of a sudden she we're on zoom and she pulls out a 38 and she goes, now I keep my gun in my drawer and my checkbook in my safe. It was like, if you could have seen my face, like, she just flicks up the, her little 38 special. Oh my God. It was so funny. So yeah. Keep listening guys and leaving reviews. And yeah, it's so much fun. Wow. Now yeah. that is insane. <laughs> now Trent is here and Trent says, congrats on 50. You'll have to let us know when that one drops so we can drop a link here because I think yeah. everybody needs to see that, if not just for the handgun display. Well, uh, you guys don't get to see the handgun display. I might try uh, and take a clip of the photo, though. If yeah. Cheryl <laughs> now, Clarence says the systems don't talk to each other, and that's the problem. Uh, the employees don't do their jobs, and that's another problem. Yes, I can see that. Pozo says she loves that, Kelly, and she'll definitely be listening in on that episode, as will I, and as will everyone else. And Thomas No, says, she's from Missouri. <laughs> well, you know what? Even better. She's from the Show Me State, and she showed you her gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. We are definitely canceled after this. this <laughs> oh, thank you, guys. It's been a great run for the Friday Fraudster. Uh, it's been great knowing you <laughs> <laughs> While we're here, we might as well talk about the fraud retreat. That is Joe and Kelly. Kelly, when is that? That's August the what? Fourth and fifth of next year? Yeah, it's like in, it's in 11 months, you guys, and it's going to fly by and there will be no guns, just FYI. Um, uh, it's going to be blast because I call it like the bespoke fraud retreat. It's, it's selective. I'm almost going to say, and Joe isn't here, so I can say this. You know what? We're going to have to approve you to come. <laughs> can I say that, Joe? Sorry. I want to. There's going to be no Debbie Downers or Don Downers. This is going to be fun, but incredibly educational. Wait, and tell I everyone think. where it's going to be again. Oh, it's at the Gaylord right outside of Denver. So, yeah, I'm going to say this is a retreat slash event that will change your life as a fraud professional. Truly. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and you heard it here first, folks. And Joe has a book club and Joe and Kelly are teaming up because uh, they're going to do a book and movie CPE. So if you go to CPEbookclub.com, that's where you can find out more information. Now, Kelly, when is that? Oh, September 15th. Right. And what are we yeah. talking about? Um, it is The Cult of We, which I listened to and uh, I have the book to be able to highlight because I listened to it on Audible and it was really good. And then the We Work on Hulu. And I'm just going to say Adam Newman, he's not even been charged. Like he's not going to get charged. But as I also said before, um, Jamie Dimon, the smartest banker, he got ripped by Adam Newman. So, you know, uh, it's fast. It's a fascinating story on so many different levels. And it's the crossover between a book and a movie. So that is a CPE event you don't want to miss. Mark, what do you have going on? Anything you want to talk to us about? <laughs> just uh, just out there doing training, traveling all over and having a blast. Uh, it's great to get out from behind the computer. So I was 
Uh, I missed last week. I was down in Florida uh, doing some training with the Association of Inspectors General. And uh, the, the uh, week before that, I was doing some training with uh, Kelly's old agency, uh, which is now Customs and Border Protection down in Harpers Ferry. And I'm heading up in a couple weeks to uh, Montpelier, Vermont, to do training with uh, law enforcement uh, from all over the state in, uh, in a four-day class. So that, that's what's got me occupied at this point. All right, nice. So I just want to thank everybody who's been coming out and listening to Audit Bites, my new solo podcast. And I've been looking at the download stats. Man, you guys must really like it. And for that, I say thank you. Episode five is coming up next week. And we are going to talk about, we're going to readdress the very first episode. The first episode was, are you assessing the aftermath? And that is when someone leaves the organization, are internal auditors looking at, well, who was who left? Why did they leave? Did the right person leave? This week, next week, are you still not assessing the aftermath? Because if you're not, I'm going to give you some more examples of recent stories as to why auditors should be looking at what happens when someone leaves an organization. The other thing I want to talk to you guys about is my boot camp. It is the Ask Better Questions boot camp. It is based on my best-selling book. The boot camp is nine weeks, 18 hours of CPE. We are starting the next cohort, October 18th. But the reason that I'm telling you about it today is because if you sign up by midnight tonight, you will get special pricing. I'm not telling you what that pricing is. Go to my website, thatauditguy.com backslash bootcamp. And after you add it to your shopping cart, you will see what the price is. It is a price that you will like. So nine weeks, 18 hours of CPE, which includes nine hours of actual group coaching. So this is more than just training. This is training and coaching. The last thing I want to touch on before we get to our last story is on my podcast this past week, I announced that, well, I had you guys do something for me. And I said that I would be announcing a winner for an I Love Audit shirt. That winner is Amy Hughes. Amy, if you are listening, just send me an email. And if you're not listening, I'll send you an email. Actually, I think I already sent you one. But you win an I Love Audit shirt of your color and size. So we will be in touch and we'll coordinate that and get your shirt to you. And Heather, your shirt is on its way. So the other thing I want to encourage you guys to do is go to my website, sign up for my mailing list. I am giving away one hour of CPE per, per month to select mailing list subscribers. So what better way to get free CPE than to just go to my website, sign up for my mailing list. Now, Hal is asking a question. Let's see, what is Hal asking here? He's just a troublemaker. Hal says, aren't you going to DC soon, Robert, the main stage? Yes, Hal. Yeah, man. I'm actually going to do the opening keynote speech at the IIA's financial services. What is it? The financial services exchange uh, uh, conference. I'm doing the opening keynote speech and I'm doing a concurrent session as well. But you know what? Hold on tight. There's another announcement that I want to make. I'm also doing a general session speech at the IIA's all-star conference, as well as a concurrent session there as well in Las Vegas. So there'll be ample chances, as Mark said, for you to reach out and touch me. <laughs> for, <laughs> for you to reach out and touch me soon. <laughs> Don't touch me, okay? Seriously, that was just a joke. Don't touch me. <laughs> now, before we move on, Leslie is here, and Leslie says... Uh, was almost a victim of ID theft through an unemployment claim. They had her name, address, social security number, and uh, was close on her date of birth. Employment Security Commission was not surprised and said it happens all the time. Well, you know what? If they told you it happens all the time, then shouldn't they take some sort of measures to stop it from happening all the time? Well, I know in Oregon, we had a lot of problems with the unemployment insurance and they had like $27 million sitting in like an account to upgrade the IT for years. 
And, you know, again, this is like the IRS. This is like any government agencies. No one wants to give government agencies money to keep up, let alone get ahead of the curve. But then who is the first person when something like this happens? They're like, how come you guys didn't stop this? It's like, I don't know, because we're using DOS or, you know, whatever. And so it gets frustrating because people complain about government all the time, yet they don't give them money to do it. When like, it is proven that Medicaid investigators in Oregon bring in like seven times their salary. It, yep. in IRS brings in X amount per their salary, yet they don't want to fund them. So it's such a vicious cycle. Like you have to fund government. And if you, if you are the ones who don't vote to fund government, well, when it happens to you, again, cancel Kelly. Sorry, not sorry. Like, hey. Yeah, the only other side of that uh, coin, though, is the government has been notoriously terrible at purchasing and implementing systems, and they have been racked with fraud when they've been installed. Look at the systems the FBI put in that were cost overrun after cost overrun. They get the system in, it doesn't even do what it says. They don't even know what they're writing for when they ask for systems. They have to get better at specking out these systems so they get what they need. And, and for that, you gotta have a government-private partnership in order to make that work in an effective manner. I don't want to dump money into a system that I know is going to be obsolete by the time it's rolled out and it really doesn't do anything more. You know, Mark, you, you make a really good point about what are they asking for? Because, uh, and I think I've shared with you guys, I have been uh, uh, going after some government contracts recently. And when you read some of the contracts, uh, especially those related to cybersecurity, a lot of agencies have no idea what they're looking for. So if you don't know what you're looking for, well, you kind of get what you're looking for yeah. or not looking for. Right. So, yeah, uh, to your point, that's a very good point. Now, Leslie says that uh, that they told her a list of birthdays are sold every, every day. day. Yep. Yeah. And then Hal talks about. The Florida unemployment system debacle. <laughs> Big four firm implemented it, and yeah, it, it, it's, it's a mess. A, yeah, yeah, a huge mess. Does anyone follow Frank on fraud? He does. Um, he's more cyber. He did this, and I'm going to try. I'm going to try and find it. He did this thing where so many people are throwing so much money at experts, and I'm. I'll try and put the blog link in, and he just like rips through the experts and what they're having to, um, you know, you got to do due diligence. Like I, I just, this is, and this goes back many episodes, but it's like the lawyer in Canada, Canada who said the best way to prevent embezzlement is two signatures. That lawyer, I'm going to tell you, I'm sure their hourly rate is twice as high as mine. And she's an expert. Like, come on, that's like the dark ages. So I'm going to go and see if I can find this Frank on fraud because it was really, it was facetious, but not. Um, and I I kind of wanted to do um, one about um, <laughs> about lawyers saying that are experts and things. So. Oh, no. Yeah. You I got talk about getting canceled. You'd really be canceled then. All right, guys. Oh, yeah. Okay, I found it. So I'm going to put this in the link and you guys have to read it. It's too funny. Way too so, funny. His name so is guys, like Rick Solofiloto, the useless fraud consultant. So guys, you've got to hold on tight for this next one. Um, this one is going to be a wild ride. That's all I can say. I, I, I am just... I've never seen anything like this. No, I take that back. Uh, many of our episodes have been exactly like this, but it's in healthcare yet again. So I'm going to take some time to explain a few things and lay the foundation because there's so many twists and turns in this. It's like a John Grisham book. Um, healthy audits. So let's talk about this. Sutter Health is Northern California's largest hospital system, and they recently agreed to pay $90 million to settle allegations of Medicare fraud. Now, this is after they've already paid hundreds of millions for something else. But okay, we'll talk about this one. It is alleged that they received inflated payments because 
Well, they made people look sicker than they actually were. Okay, so let's talk about this. Well, let's talk about Medicaid first and what uh, Medicare first, sorry, and what it is. So Medicare is for, um, it's a federal health insurance program and it's for three types of people. Those over 65 or 65 and over, uh, certain younger people with disabilities and people with end stage renal disease, meaning they're going to die from it most likely. So permanent kidney failure requiring dialysis or transplant. Now, there are different um, parts under Medicare. So there's part A, which is your standard hospital insurance. There's part B, which is medical insurance. And then there's part D, which is your prescription drug coverage. Um, parts A and B typically have premiums associated with them. Most people don't pay a monthly premium, um, excuse me, for A. But if you don't qualify for the premium free part A, you can buy part A. If you don't qualify for it, you can buy it. Everyone pays a monthly premium for part B. So part A has a free component. And if you can't afford it, you can buy. I mean, if you don't qualify for it, you can buy into it. If you don't qualify for part A, you can buy into it. Everyone pays a monthly premium for part B, uh, uh, part uh, D. Sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, part B. Good grief. Let me say that one more time. Most people don't pay a premium for part A. However, if you if you don't qualify for free part A, you can pay for it. Right. Everyone pays a monthly premium for part B. Okay. I said it right that time. So now let's go a little bit further in this. So with Medicare, you have two options once you're enrolled. There are two main ways to enroll. You have the original Medicare, which people are moving away from that. The original Medicare uh, is for part A, your hospital, and then part B, your medical insurance. And you pay for services as you use them. So as you use the services, you typically pay a deductible, which is like 20%. Most people are going to the Medicare Advantage now. So let's talk about that. Medicare Advantage is an all-in-one alternative to the original Medicare, where everything is bundled. So the plans include Part A, Part B, and usually, but not always, Part D. Most plans offer extra benefits that original Medicare doesn't cover, like vision and hearing and dental and all that other good stuff. Okay, so now... Under the Medicare Advantage program, the federal agency that administers that program is called the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS. That's the first line you see here on bullet point number one. Now, what CMS does is they contract with private health insurance companies known as Medicare Advantage organizations or MA organizations. That's what you see in bullet point number two. So the Centers for Medicare uh, Services, CMS, oversees the private insurers, which are called MA organizations or Medicare Advantage organizations. Now, the MA organizations in turn contract with medical providers, such as our friends that we're talking about here, Sutter, for healthcare services, for the benefits of the person enrolled in the plan. You see how confusing this gets? Now, our last bullet point, CMS turns around and pays the MA a fixed amount for each person based on how sick that person is. You got it? So CMS contracts with an MA organization. The MA organization uh, has these medical providers who perform the services, but then CMS turns around and pays the MA provider. Okay, now if it didn't get more complicated or if it couldn't get more complicated, CMS relies on diagnosis codes. And if you listen to... Um, Last week's episode, and if you listen to my podcast, Audit Bites, we talked about those different codes. But those diagnosis codes are used to calculate the beneficiary's quote-unquote health status. Now, that health status determines how much money CMS is going to pay the MA. And they do a risk score, a risk-adjusted risk diagnosis codes are what they use. So the higher the beneficiary score, the higher the payments that CMS will pay to the MA. 
All right. Everybody with me so far? Crazy, isn't it? So here's what the government is alleging. The government is alleging that Sutter and one of its uh, sister companies maximized the number of risk adjusting diagnosis codes that they reported in order to increase the payments paid to the MA organization. That's pretty simple, right? So what they're saying, <laughs> what they're saying they did was they pre-populated Medicare Advantage's Medicare Advantage beneficiaries' medical records with diagnosis codes before the physicians even saw the patients. So they diagnosed them before the physicians even saw them. That's the first thing. The second thing is they said that they had non-physician coders review the Medicare Advantage beneficiary medical record and retroactively add codes that physicians supposedly missed and change the physician codes to codes more severe. So first they added codes before the physicians saw them. Then after the physicians saw them, they added additional codes that the physician missed when they saw them. So the third thing they're saying is they knowingly submitted unsupported diagnosis codes to CMS and then prohibited their internal auditors slash internal coders from deleting the unsupported codes when the auditors came in and said, wait a minute, these codes don't look right. right. All right, Mark Kelly, let's just stop here. And, and then there's more, but let's stop here for a minute. Thoughts? Sounds good to me. <laughs> Sounds like it's okie doke up there. Suitor health, right? Uh, it doesn't make any sense. It also, if I read this right, the patient records were not in line with the billing records. That the the patient records were accurate with regard to what was going on and what the diagnoses were. It was just the records they were using to bill Medicare that had the inflated codes in it, right? So they essentially had two sets of books and records, right? That's about it, yeah. So when the audit people looked at it and went to put them together, such as the whistleblower in this case, uh, she would have clearly seen right off the bat that it, it, it was not a fix, right? That there was an issue here. That that sums it up pretty nicely, yeah. Well, the, go ahead. It, 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 it's like in lawyers, the longer it takes them to do it, the more money they make. The sicker the patient is, the more money they make. And Joe's not here, the incentive queen, but like the incentives are all wrong. And I know that like Medicare has worked well, relatively recently, like if they, if a hospital discharges a patient too soon and the patient comes back within a certain amount of time, the hospital has to eat it because there was so much of like churning of patients. So, but the incentives are all, it's incentives. Like, and then yeah. it's people's health. I mean, my goodness. 100% yeah, incentives. And Hal just asked that, was the patient health impacted? I'm not sure that the patient's health was impacted because they were probably getting the same service, but you got to wonder where the priority is here. You know, is the priority even on those patients when you have that ethical malaise that caused the, I mean, we keep saying incentive, 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 and you got this ethical sickness that's actually uh, propelling this hospital forward, you got to question everything that got, goes on there. And, and we're going to get to that because that is ev eventually what happened. But yeah, to Hal's point, while the billings were inflated, was patient health impacted? Probably so. And Pozo says, what in the world? Billing gone rogue. But then Dan, Medicare is overly complex That's by design, way too complicated. Any question why there is so much Medicare fraud and wasted taxpayer money. Yeah. And then Hal says, seems like the physicians would have known what was going on. Uh, maybe, maybe not, because in those healthcare settings, you have a couple different things because you, you have the coding that occurs that tells you what's wrong with the patient. And then you have the billing. And a lot of people aren't aware of the fact that coding and billing are two. Yeah, they're two separate things. But let's dig into this, though, because this story got real interesting where you had an auditor who was very brave in what she did mm -hmm. in this situation. 
and and it's interesting because she filed a whistleblower lawsuit and we'll talk about the effect of that in a little bit and you you guys will see where we're going with this i think more and more auditors are going to start to be brave as the federal government changes some of its rules surrounding whistleblowers but on may 6 2013 they hired kathy armsby as a risk adjusted adjustment project manager so in that position, she was the primary liaison between the coding, the revenue cycle, the quality and clinical departments as it related to the Medicare Advantage program. Now, Ms. Armsby had previously earned a coding certificate from the American Academy of Professional Coders. Now, if you don't know what that is, that's the association. They have a test where you learn how to be a medical biller and coder. And if you pass that test, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty hard. And I told you guys, when I was the director of audit in healthcare, I had someone working for me that had that certification. I wasn't going to get the certification, my goodness, because I'm not that smart. But I made sure I had someone working for me with that certification. Now, the court documents say that within, a within the first few days on her job, she became aware that they lacked a coding compliance and training program related to Medicare Advantage, and she brought it to their attention. She told them in emails and verbally that they didn't have a sufficient program. Now, the longer she worked there, she realized that the same problems existed company-wide, system-wide. There was no uh, coding and compliance manuals or training guides, and she brought that to their attention as well. So she was so concerned that what she did was she um, she actually performed an audit of about 42 patient encounters. So when physicians met with patients, that's called an encounter in the medical uh, field. Uh, the, the type of audit she did specifically was called an encounter audit where, um, you know, you evaluate one physician encounter in a given year for one patient. Just to take a look. This is like your high level. I'm doing a reconnaissance mission to see if I need to dig further. Now, based on that, it sent red flags waving and she was like, oh, no, this is crazy. So she completed that audit in June of 2013. She found that 53 of 62 risk adjustment diagnosis codes or 85 percent from the patients that she looked at were just wrong. So then after that, at some point, United Healthcare an insurance company sent a director at Sutter a letter identifying that something was off in their coding. So now you got an internal employee trying to wave the red flag and say that something is wrong. Now, finally, United Healthcare, an insurer, is saying that something is wrong and is sending letters to them. So <laughs> after that, uh, go ahead, Mark, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. So now after that, she created a corrective action plan, she being the auditor, created a corrective action plan for cleaning up the issue. She even identified the root cause of it. And this is according to federal uh, to uh, court documents. She identified the root cause as being an ineffective compliance and training program. In her plan, she explained that, you know, the current procedures needed to be improved. Okay. So then after this, she started doing another type of audit, which was called a focus audit, which is more focused <laughs> than the encounter audit. And it, um, it, it didn't get better from there. So now after she did this audit, she kept warning management that something was wrong. And now we're approaching, we're leaving 2013 and we're getting into 2014, where management did not, apparently they didn't like the results of the audit that she performed, either audit or neither audit. And um, at this point, by July 2014, almost a year later, she performed some additional audits where she identified 484 codes wrong as it related to prostate cancer submitted during the 2010 year. And she estimated that the potential reimbursement that they would owe back is about one point nine million dollars. But she actually said that that estimate was probably low. Then in December of 2014. So this is still going on. Um, what happened in December? Oh, boy. So in December, they found more errors and eventually they hired someone in over her because apparently she couldn't do the job because she was causing them to lose money. 
Um, when that new person came in that was hired over her, his directive was to actually increase revenue for the organization. And this is all in the court documents, you guys. So I'm not, I'm not making any of this up. They actually referred to her as a barrier to income generating activities. So they began to suppress her audit efforts and they began to undermine her in management meetings. On December 1st of 2014, she warned management um, that she didn't think that the recommendation that they had was a compliant solution. So they recommended that they actually increase the number of codes that they put on. Uh, let's see. By February of 2015, she had another new supervisor working for her. And again, she she was already labeled as being a problem. She was a barrier. So they brought in another new supervisor over her and um, they told her that if she found differences between her audit and what she thought to be true, to not send out emails but to handle the issue in private. This was around March of 2015. So we're working on two years now after she actually found what was happening. Kelly, Mark? It's just, again, like there's so much money in healthcare. And you know, you wanna think that people go into healthcare because they wanna help people. But unfortunately, I think that, you know, um, they see the brain surgeon driving the Tesla and the pediatrician driving the, you know, 10 year old Prius. And they're like, how can I get the Tesla? Or I, you know, I don't know. It's the healthcare is so frustrating because it affects us all. And you could say like Enron or Bernie Madoff, this is our physical health. And when you're compromised or you have a family member that's compromised, really, you want someone to profit off of it? I just, Hal makes a uh, really good his last uh, uh, point there about root cause uh, issues there. Uh, can you imagine the amount of time they spent training all of these coders? Because she said in the audit and it was proven that this was happening system wide and system wide is whatever, eight hospitals. And I mean, there's clinics and cancer clinics and all sorts of uh, facilities. Can you imagine the training session they had to have to get all these coders on the same sheet of music to lie about the code so they could get more money? They spent all that time and effort to do that. That's totally financially driven. <clears throat> and I sent you that link about their ethics and compliance department, which yeah. it, it's got to be staffed by two monkeys and a, a cat or something. I mean, come on. I, I mean, what are they doing? Be well, because it's ridiculous. Is, is this somewhere, and I'm just, you know, thinking it loud, artificial intelligence. <clears throat> and I realize there's a problem with artificial intelligence because people have to tell the artificial intelligence how to do it. But like, this seems that if we had good people set it up, it, it would be maybe, I don't know, what do you guys think? Is that crazy to think that artificial intelligence would be helpful in a situation like this? You know what would be really helpful? Hold people responsible that are ethical morons and, and, and stop slapping their wrists and send them to freaking prison for a long period of time. We're so wimpy on white-collar criminals, and this is just... You're absolutely right. Who are the victims? Everybody that goes to that hospital. You know, who are the, I guarantee there's maybe three or four buffoons who've made their way to the top of the organization that have promoted this bad conduct. Take them out. And that's not going after low hanging fruit. That's having the intestinal fortitude to go after the top of the pile and take them out. That sends a very clear message to everybody else working there. Yeah, so, so let's let's talk about this because this 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 goes into one thing that I always say: auditors have to be brave. If not, why do the job? So let's talk about Hal's comment. Hal said, "Root cause doesn't seem like a training program problem. It seems more like a culture and incentive slash motivations motivation pro motives problem as the root cause." Absolutely, because here's what happened. So this this young woman Armsby 
trying to do her job. They actually approved for her to get more auditors at one point in time, but then they still squashed her efforts to make improvements. They tried to use those auditors in order to uh, uh, bill more money. So it definitely is a culture problem when you're call, calling your auditor a barrier. Now, if you notice though, she stayed there for two years. So here's what happened. On May 7th of 2015, she left for another position. When she left, they did not resume using internal auditing to find and delete the erroneous, invalid, unsupported, or otherwise false diagnosis codes until the end of the second quarter of 2016. Now, what I just said then is directly from the court documents. One of the reasons they started back at the end of 2016 is because they got in trouble with the government and they are Again. they were under they may still be under a corporate integrity agreement. And if yep. you remember one of our one of our previous episodes where we talked about what a corporate integrity agreement is, I kind of I put it in layman's terms. It is a babysitter for your organization. Someone else provides oversight for your organization and tells you what to do. You hire this person. It's usually a law firm. You hire this person to come in and provide oversight over you. And it should be an independent third party. That third party reports back to the government on your progress against your integrity agreement. So imagine this. As an organization, you have had to go into an integrity agreement with the government, thereby saying somehow you lacked integrity and the government had to provide some sort of oversight. This young woman here was trying to be brave as an auditing professional. She was a medical auditor, but she was trying to be brave. So listen, here's what happened in September of 2021. Sutter said that it paid $30 million to partly resolve the claims in 2019 and will now pay an additional $60 million to fully resolve the lawsuit without admitting liability. So instead of going to court, they are settling. But here's the other part of this now. Again, like I just said, Sutter also agreed to a five-year corporate integrity agreement that requires an outside group to review patient medical records and diagnosis. Now, the civil settlement resulted from a 2015 False Claims Act whistleblower complaint from Sutter employee Kathleen Armsby. But get this, you guys, attorneys representing her said that the problem took place from 2010 to 2016. She and her attorneys will get anywhere between 15 and 30 percent of the settlement amount with the amount still to be determined. She won't have to get another job. She won't be able to get another job. She's exactly. going to go on the speaking circuit. Yeah, exactly. Well, what's the deal with the the backslapping, glad handing of not making these bogus companies accept responsibility for their wrongdoing? Because they talk to politicians all the time. Well. Now we're back to part of the problem, right? I mean, seriously, make them accept responsibility. That's going to have a huge effect on how much money they make and how profitable they are. And if they don't want to accept responsibility for that, then you know, sell it. Let somebody else buy it. I mean, it, it's ridiculous they don't have to accept responsibility. There's no question reading those documents that they're responsible. This was not, oh, we don't know how this happened. I, I, they, it's they ridiculous. Knew. There's oh. documentation back and forth. There's emails. But here, here's the question that I always have. You hired this individual to give you advice because she was an expert. This was a certified coder. You did not take the advice that she gave you. You made her life a living hell for two years. Yep. When she left, you still did not take her advice. Now, I imagine she was probably making about a hundred to $120,000 per year. You could have $240,000 over two years to save you the angst of having to pay $90 million. That doesn't make any sense. Somewhere that is so counterintuitive that the executive should be fired and should have some accountability and responsibility for that. If, if this is a publicly traded company, because I didn't look that far, the stockholders should have something to say about that. Uh, but, you know, you've hired someone on your staff 
to do a job. They did the job that you paid them to do. You turned around and did not listen to them. And then all of a sudden you had to pay out about $90 million. On top of that, I think I read that in years prior, they actually paid out something like $500 million to settle another case. Or was that $50 million? So, yeah, I no, think it was it's, 50. No, it's 575. Oh. The announcement comes days after a judge on Friday gave final approval to an unrelated 2019 settlement that required Sutter to pay 575 million. That settled allegations by the state attorney general and others that Sutter's anti-competitive practices led to higher costs for patient consumers in Northern California compared to elsewhere in the state. And this is where I go like batshit. Like right. there's just too much money and like, come on, this is our healthcare. We shouldn't have to like, you know what? Like you go into the doctor and they should give you the best medicine possible. Now they shouldn't like say that, well, you know, amoxicillin is less than Cipro or what I, you can't, I don't know. I just, Oh my God. It just, our medical system is so incredibly broken when one company, one company has now had to pay over a half a billion dollars for bad behavior. That's one company in only Northern California. Multiply that by 50 states. It's insane. Well, Sorry, and, and here's, I, so insane. Here's what makes it even more interesting. I can tell you that in most environments, the actual doctors and nurses they don't know. They don't do the billing. So they're not involved in any of this. So to, to, to kind of address Hal's earlier question, for the most part, your actual service isn't impacted until unless and until administration starts getting onto the doctors about what they're billing for and having them rush and do like a churn and burn when it comes yep. to seeing patients. But your doctors and your nurses are usually there to service patients. And those are some of the best human beings in the world, typically. And it's usually when it gets to the administrative administrative side. But let's inject a little bit more humor in, in the little bit of time that we have left. Hal says, was it Sutter Health or, or Sutter Home? <laughs> we probably um, own Sutter Home. You know, they probably do out there in California. And Dan says, we have lost all sense of individual responsibility. Absolutely, Dan. Yeah. And, and, and uh, Bonita is getting the kick out of uh, Mark. Intestinal fortitude is key. Now, I Thomas have to say, is, is I gotta saying, run because I got to go see my old special agent buddy. So I got to run today, guys. OK, Mark and I'll wrap it up. See ya. <laughs> bye, Kelly. Everybody say bye to Kelly. Bye, Kelly. Right. So Thomas says that the government enforcing integrity <laughs> Sounds like the start of a bad joke. <laughs> that's that's Thomas. You're being tough there now. Some of us spent a whole career trying to have integrity and lost jobs for it along the way. Right. Absolutely. And Hal says bonus clawbacks. Now Pozo <laughs> brings up a point. Pozo says money spent on corporate integrity agreements are they partially subsidized by lobbying or is it? all covered by tax dollars. Now, Pozo, it is my understanding that the company hack actually has to pay to uh, enforce the corporate integrity agreement. So the company has to pay the third party is my understanding. Yeah, but who gets put in is that uh, overseeing that? Okay, so here, here's what Lobbying. happens. Yeah, so here's what happens. Um, sometimes the company can actually say, this is who we'd like to use. But the government can also say we don't like who you chose and they can force place someone on you. But back to your point, Mark, if it's government, then who is it going to be? Is it going to be someone that a politician favors Sucked up appropriately? Yeah, that part I don't know. But I do yeah, know no. that if the government doesn't like who is uh, uh, placed as the corporate integrity officer or firm, that they can they say, can no, down. we're not. Yep. You're not using them. Now, Pozo says, I wonder what they stole from private insurance companies. Well, well, that's just it, Pozo. United Healthcare is one of the companies that they also that that saw something was wrong. So this goes all the way down the line from Medicare to the private insurer, too, because Medicare is paying the private insurer. Yeah. Here's the question I have on that, though. <clears throat> Are they not actually benefiting from the hospital doing that because they're going to get a larger percentage of the larger cut 
that the hospital submits because I'm sure they, the insurance company gets a percentage of that total amount. Yeah. And it's interesting. You're right. But if you notice in this case, the insurance company was the one that brought it to their attention. So most of the time, the insurance companies are going to do the right thing. And here's why you can be cut off from receiving <laughs> Medicare benefits altogether. So they and got no scared. Right. Yeah. So there's a fear factor there, like Joe Rogan, right? There's a fear Ooh. factor. So no one wants to be cut off from Medicare. So you'll find that most of the insurance providers are actually looking to do the right thing. Yeah. So, you, you know, it, but yeah, most of them but, are looking to why? do the right thing. Are the they fear doing factor. For, right. So not ethical. <laughs> not because it's wrong, but because well, they're going to get caught with their pants down. Well, well, let's just hope that it's both, right? Let's nah. hope that it's... <laughs> Dreaming, you're dreaming. Now, Hal says United Healthcare does not want to appear complicit. Yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, and and I would say to a certain extent, there's nothing wrong with that. But Bonita, for the funny comment of the day, along with Hal's, bats you crazy, <laughs> right? I didn't even know there was a bat emoji. <laughs> I'm going to be using that one. Thank you, B. Yeah. And Alava says, "Bye, Kelly." Hey, man, I didn't know you were here. Good to see you. What time is it there where you are? It's got to be like, what, nine or 10 at night? You're in uh, Nigeria, right? So it's got to be, what? Yeah, pretty late. Four, six. Something ten, like that. 10 or 11. It's got to be like 10 or 11. Yeah, yeah. Now, Mark, you're going to love this one. Pozo says, can you invite Mark as a guest host again? Pozo? We will definitely invite Mark as a guest host again. It is always fun when Mark is here. All right, guys, look. So today, ah, 20, uh, Alaba says it's 11 8. Yeah. Yeah. I, I knew it was uh, pretty darn late there. So what is that? That's like 9, 908 for me, 1008 for you, Mark? Yes. Yeah. Yep. All right, guys. So today, on the Friday Froster, our two cases, the unemployed employee and healthy audit. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed this episode. If you did, tell all of your friends, here's what I'm going to do. For the people who have been participating in the chat, I'm going to randomly select, maybe I can get Trent Russell, uh, founder of Green Skies Analytics, to help me run some sort of data analytics on this to pick out someone at random. But I'm going to give someone one hour of free CPE from FridayFroster.com on ThatAuditGuy.com. So for those of you who've been participating in the chat, you will be randomly selected to win one hour of CPE. Sorry, not a t-shirt this week, you guys. So again, I'm Robert. Mark is our guest co-host on behalf of Kelly Paxton and Joe Irvin. What we want to say is thank you for joining us. Tell all of your friends, send them to www.fridayfraudster.com. Tune in to Audit Bites this Wednesday at 1230 p.m. And on that note, see you guys next week.